0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
1: Hey, you've done some great documentaries, and uh, your book work has been fantastic. How did you get involved in this angle? How did this all start for you?
0: Um, Well, I mean, I did a doctorate, and, you know, if you do do postgraduate study, you have to find some kind of, um, you know, original angle. And I could see that there has been loads and loads of... uh, academic work and journalistic work, criticizing the news media mm-hmm. um, and sort of seeing, you know, who are the power players behind the news media. But really very little had been written about Hollywood, about the entertainment industry. And um, uh, and so and it was and the stuff that was written about Hollywood was quite kind of, um, you know, it's kind of rooted in uh, academia and sort of. Um, liter- you know, sort of literary studies, film studies, those kind of things, not very politicised. Uh, and not very. And no one was really terribly interested in the production processes. Like, you know, does the government get involved in making films? And, you know, there was just nothing out there about that. So um, I decided to take that on as a kind of, um, instead of looking at news media and sort of overall uh, political discourse, I thought it would be interesting to hone in on the entertainment side of it. Um, and it was immediately obvious that there was loads going on there that had just been neglected horribly by, uh, by academia and uh, to, to a large extent by journalists as well. So um, I realized that there was a, a, a really rich avenue there. And it's been weird, actually. I mean, I've been researching this now for whatever it is, it's like 15 years, and I'm still really interested.
1: A long time.
0: I mean, I long do sometimes time. take a bit of a break away from it to, you know, to sort of recharge and do something a bit different. But it is a really interesting area, this intersection between the entertainment industry um, and uh, and propaganda, really. I don't really like you to use the word propaganda because I think it's loaded with all sorts of different um, sort of meaning. Sort of,
1: you think uh, of Goebbels and the Nazis when you hear propaganda. but
0: Exactly. It's, yeah. it's not very useful. People toss it around quite dangerously in the same way that, you know, with, with Brexit, for example, people toss around the word democracy. <laughs> um, incredibly dangerous because democracy is not just... Uh, uh, well, it, it can seem like it's just, you know, a bunch of people voting for one thing at one time and saying, OK, that's the end of it. But well, that's how we got into the problem with um, uh with Britain leaving the EU. Um, whereas democracy is about lots of other things as well, about accountability and uh, uh, about transparency of government and all those kind of things. Um, in the same way that, you know, propaganda is not just about someone telling a lie. It's about um, systematic uh, deception. Uh, over time by powerful institutions, for mm-hmm. specific um, ideological ends, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I try to avoid the word a little bit, but um, sometimes it's useful. As a Some,
1: sometimes you have to. And with propaganda, Matthew, comes really not only the, the entity that wants to do the propaganda, but you have the entity that will fall for it and use it, and it sounds like that's what Hollywood's been doing.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Hollywood is uh, susceptible to state influence. um, And a lot of that is to do with the fact that they want to save a bit of money um, and they want to have good relationships with the government. And so, you know, why not? What harm does it do them to cooperate with the government, Um, particularly as there's not much of a fuss made about it um, because no one really knows much about it. It's just a sort of uh, industry inside, um, you know, set of relationships where producers allow the government to come in, take a look at scripts and change scripts in exchange for providing um, helicopters and aircraft carriers mm. and advice. And, uh,
1: Submarines and, and everything else. Interesting. I- explain to us, Matthew, how technically it would work. Who who approaches who first and how does this mechanism begin?
0: Well, it- in-, in theory, what should happen is um, is that a a film producer should go along to the Pentagon uh, and sometimes the CIA and say, we want some help on this. Um, Please, can you assist us to make this film more accurate um, on this script? We want to make sure that the language is correct, for example, that we use military language properly. Um, And then the Pentagon uh, should come in, um, advise on that, and then provide... um, you know, huge bits of kit that uh, that the filmmakers uh, request, uh, and they should provide that for uh, the the filmmakers should still pay for that, albeit at a reduced cost. But actually, what happens in practice is, well, one of the things is that actually sometimes those uh, those costs are rather rather fiddled in a way that I I, I hesitate to cause to call corruption, but in, in a way that is not. Uh, not necessarily um, accepted all round by um, uh, by everyone writing about it <laughs> um, and but but the main thing is that the the depth and breadth of the script changes that are required by the Pentagon are so much greater than anyone actually knows mm-hmm. and that 's a really serious problem because it means that they 're changing. Uh, history changing representation of American foreign policy, American power all the time, and um, so for example, they have um, show stoppers, which means basically you know things that they just simply will not allow to be uh, in, in a film if they 're going to be working on it and they 're things like you know you 're not allowed to show that um, the, uh, that you 've lost a nuclear weapon you 're not allowed to show right. uh, racism in the military for example you 're not allowed to show um, uh, the military's inability to deal with um, with issues of sexual assault, um, anything to do with torture, coups, um, illegal arms sales, assassinations, weapons of mass destruction, war crimes, anything like that, it all has to go. Um, and they've tied the producers into into contracts on every individual uh, film and TV show that uh, on, on which this relates. So. You know, they're able to exercise a considerable degree of, um, of authority, a little bit like um, you could perhaps see them as a see the, uh, the institution, the political institution as a uh, as another producer,
1: uh-huh.
0: a, a sort of hidden executive producer, which is also happens to be extremely active um, uh, in terms of shaping. Would there
1: be a division within the Pentagon somewhere that has a staff that does just
0: this? Yeah, that's, so that's exactly it. There is a, um, the entertainment liaison office um, in the uh, in the Department of Defense, which, uh, which which is in charge of this and has been doing this for many many decades, but just very much under the radar, um, and has received occasionally little pieces of criticism, but very limited, um, you know, just in the sort of uh, in the newspapers. It kind of pops up sort of very infrequently, um, and yeah, they uh, they have a staff and they. Um, uh, they supposedly wait for these film producers to come to them. But again, there's a lot of that sort of narrative, that kind of benign narrative of what the Pentagon does um, is not really the case because actually, um, as we've found from uh, a lot of new documentation over the past five years or so, oftentimes they're going out to uh, Comic Con and lots of other conferences and they're arranging meetings and they're being actually very proactive um, in the industry to um, foster relationships. And that's particularly the case with the CIA as well, which is um, a sort of junior player in this. The, the Pentagon does much more. Uh, but the CIA is um, very much able to uh, get in very early uh, on uh, on film scripts so that it can persuade. Rather than providing a great deal of materiel, uh, it gets in very early to... Um well, for, uh, funnily enough, actually, just last night, I was um, on British TV. There's only a few channels on British TV, unless you've got... A Decent telly which I don't. Uh, but I just, you know, literally just flicking over. There was Kingsman on a uh, on one channel, and then the next channel I turned over to it was Mission Impossible, the first one. You know, these are both CIA. Uh, sorry, uh, Kingsman is an MI uh, MI five um, assisted uh, project, um, and uh, Mission Impossible was uh, right from the outset uh, in the Tom Cruise films was a uh, was a CIA assisted project.
1: There was a uh, movie. You know, we,
0: Go ahead. Go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I, I was just going to say we. Uh, it, it's not always clear the extent to which there is script interference, um, particularly from the CIA, because they're much more careful with their... Well, not careful, maybe it's the wrong word, but they're more secretive, really, with their paperwork, and they like to do things informally, um, by telephone, for example. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty clear from dribs and drabs that have come out, for example, through um, leaked documentation through uh, a court case about the Al Pacino film The Recruit, that the CIA does sometimes uh, exercise considerable influence, Um, literally sort of writes rough drafts of scripts uh, uh, in certain cases.
1: There was a movie in 1995 called Crimson Tide that starred Gene Hackman and Denzel Washington, and, and they were upon a Navy submarine Hackman was the commanding officer, Denzel was the executive officer, and there was the whole movie revolved around questioning Gene Hackman's ability because they lost the uh, message on whether to launch or not against the Soviets at the time. But I would guess, because there was a submarine involved and they, they did a lot of filming inside of a sub, they had to get cooperation from the Navy and the
0: Pentagon, Right. Uh, well, that's that's mostly right. I can't remember exactly the extent to which they had influence over uh, Crimson Tide. I think there was actually a problem, um, as I recall, uh, with 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 giving full cooperation. So, what the Pentagon has is a, a, a series of different um, levels of cooperation. That they provide full cooperation basically means that you're looking at a a, a really heavily. Um, you know, basically an advert for the military in one way or another. Uh, And they are very common. Um, So films like Pearl Harbor, which was on the night before on my television, um, is, uh, you know, full cooperation. Crimson Tide, I think, may have only been courtesy cooperation or limited cooperation. Um, And that's because of exactly the thing that you picked up on, which is that there's this a mutiny between uh, a mutiny on a ship and they don't like showing they, they, they don't like that stuff uh, yeah th- th- that said they, they you know that they they exercise caution about that and and sort of their own judgment so films like um a few good men they provided limited um cooperation but mm-hmm. um i think that they if they were to do that again if a similar script came in today i think they would from what i can tell from what they've uh mentioned in interviews and things that they would probably go for a script like that now because it shows that the, uh, that the system does actually work. That Jack Nicholson's character at the end um, is actually brought to justice. Um, so the, they would have been probably a bit keener on that now. Um, and uh, yeah, same thing with something like Courage Under Fire, um, which was the Meg Ryan movie, uh, where they provided limited uh, cooperation uh, for a film set in Iraq. Um, Again, about kind of mutiny and you know uh, problems in the ranks. But generally speaking, yeah, they they provide. They want. They still are able to some extent to shape those scripts because even if they don't provide full cooperation, even if the relationship isn't 100% tight, they're still able to exercise influence and advice over early stages of the uh, of the drafting process. So, you know, a good example would be something like um, Independence Day. Um, which we've actually only found this out in the past few months because um, we've been making a film, uh, a documentary film to go along with this. Um, and as part of that, Roger Stahl from uh, from the U.S., a pro- professor over there, um, has done a huge research project of his own, sort of building on what myself and Tom Secker did. And one of the things he found was that in the case of uh, Independence Day, which um, that ultimately negotiations fell through, Partly because they wanted to represent um, aliens in Roswell and all this kind of thing, but one of the things um, Roger found out from the, uh, from documentation on um, Earth recently is that they, you know, in the scenes where they blow up the White House and um, right, I think they right. blow up NORAD and all that. That's well, there was exactly. another scene that they wanted to film there, which was to blow up the Pentagon. Um, but they, uh, even though there was uh, ultimately no contract signed uh, between the Pentagon and um, and the movie Uh, people, they were still able to get that to be removed, as well as many other changes.
1: I've always wondered if stories of UFOs, movies of UFOs, are leaked Pentagon information that we knew about as a government to producers like Steven Spielberg and people like that and simply said, look, we're being visited, Uh, go ahead and do Close Encounters of the Third Kind or something like that. Is that possible?
0: Uh, well, yeah, it's, that's something that myself and um, another colleague, Robbie Graham, looked into. Um, I don't know
1: if you've—he's uh, a know. ufo hes a UFO researcher, isn't he?
0: Yeah, and he wrote a book. He sort of wrote the book on the relationship between cinema and UFOs, which is called Silver Screen Sources, which I very much recommend. And he uh, and, and he and I wrote one of the very few um, uh, peer-reviewed academic articles about. Uh, the relationship between the media and uh, and UFOs. This was a few years ago now, but we're, we're meant to be doing a, a, a thing, a, a COVID interferes with so many things, but that was one of the, uh, we were meant to be doing something a couple of days ago for the Anomalist website, um, where Robbie and I were gonna to work together again and talk about this, uh, but I think it will be delayed for a couple, couple of weeks. But yes, um, the uh, there are cases where Um, the government has seeded information into films or into documentaries. One of the interesting things about um, Close Encounters, actually, was uh, that uh, it it was kind of the opposite of that. that I think at least from the documentation that we have, which is obviously limited, um, it seems that uh, NASA actually wanted to prevent um, that film from coming out. There was Spielberg himself in this obscure interview uh, from 1977, which I had to file about 50 different... Um, library request to to actually find the original um, quote to check that it was legitimate. But uh, he, he said uh, that he received a 20-page letter from NASA in the run-up to the release of Close Encounters saying we don't want this to be released um, because hmm. we're worried that after what happened with everyone panicking about sharks following the release of Jaws right. uh, a couple of years prior, um, we don't want the same thing happening again um, and having these enormous number of reports coming in um, from people seeing things in the skies,
1: and look what's happening now with the Pentagon releasing some uh, videos of UFOs being chased by fighter pilots. Yeah, uh, I wonder if there's a reason they're doing that.
0: I I, th- I, I think it's really really interesting, and yeah, I'm sh- I, of course there's, there's a reason for it. I feel that, um, that that's something that I, whenever things like that happen, I, I go to Robbie Graham. <laughs> um, and I, hopefully when we do the uh, our own uh, podcast together on The Anomalist uh, in a week or two, then uh, he'll talk further about that. But yeah, I completely agree with you. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.